that hurt Biden politically, close quote. In remarks from the White House last night, Biden defended his mental capacity for the job and insisted that his memory is fine. From WPFW News in Washington and WBAI in New York, I'm Sue Goodwin. in Washington and all points beyond. This is Oscar Fernandez, and you're listening to Latino Media Collective here on WPFW 89.3 FM, Washington. And Distrito Colombia here on this Friday, February 9th, 2024. We're also heard on latinomediacollective.com. You can find us on Twitter under the name at LMC underscore show. That is at LMC underscore show. And of course, live on WPFWFM.org. That's WPFWFM.org. Once again, this is Oscar Fernandez, and we are in the middle of WPFW's Winter Pledge Drive, which gives you the opportunity to support the Latino Media Collective by going to WPFWFM.org to make a donation. You can also call 1-800-222-9739, and if you have the cash app on your phone, make a donation to dollar sign WPFW and give credit to the Latino Media Collective when you do so. And... This is because one of the reasons to support independent journalism during this time is not only as a means to sustain WPFW per se, but also as an expression by the audience 
you, the audience as a whole, about the importance of independent journalism as a form of education. Because when done correctly, journalism is the pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of enlightenment, and dare I say, the pursuit of revolution, which is why it's so crucial to sustain it, especially when there are so many crises around the world that deserve our attention. Yet despite the important responsibility in informing the general public, several corporate media outlets have decided to scale back by laying off journalists across the country. In the last few months, the Texas Tribune, the LA Times, Time Magazine, NBC News, Univision, NPR, CNN, and many more have laid off journalists and media producers. And there may be more layoffs on the way. The Baltimore Sun was sold to the right-wing Sinclair Broadcast Group, threatening to compromise the newsroom at the hands of a company that has been known to produce fake news. Even Sports Illustrated and ESPN, longtime sports journalism institutions, have been gobbled up by new media conglomerates that have little to no interest in sports journalism. So this should be a fantastic show because I'm joined today as often and as usual by Arturo Dominguez, who's a freelance writer based in Houston, Texas. Welcome back to the show, Arturo Dominguez. Hey, Oscar. Thanks for having me, man. It's always a blast being on the show. Excuse my dogs. They're being a little loud in the background. But yeah, it's always good to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, we, we don't mind having a live studio audience, even if they aren't human. So... Also with us on the show today for the first time is Egberto Willis. He's the host of Politics Done Right, which airs on Pacifica Station KPFD in Houston, Texas. Welcome to the show, Egberto Willis. It's my pleasure to be with you, Oscar. I, I, I really enjoyed it and thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So again, the media landscape right now is shrinking. And as one could often imagine that it's to the detriment of journalists of color, which is why I want to have both of you guys on the show today to discuss this issue because there are several media outlets, as I mentioned, that are downsizing its staff and to the detriment of journalists of color. So I'll give you guys one example. So the other Times columnist, Jean Guerrero, who's a fantastic columnist and journalist, wrote back in 2021 a real scathing column on the spread of misinformation within Latino communities regarding covid during the pandemic. And it's one of those informative articles and the type of journalists that we need in this media landscape at this time. So I want to ask this question to the both of you guys, but I'll start with Arturo first, because Arturo, your work not only deals with extremism online, but also deals with misinformation in various social media landscapes. And some of it that affects or comes from Latino communities. So unfortunately, like many other journalists in the last few months, Jean Guerrero was laid off by the LA Times. The LA Times is really at the center of all these massive layoffs, especially for people of color. What are your thoughts on these series, especially, by the way, since we're in an election year, all these layoffs of these journalists of color, especially when it comes to the issue of combating misinformation? Well, Latino journalists in particular are extremely important right now because of the misinformation in the Latino community, particularly the Spanish-speaking Latino community. And we try to do our best to debunk a lot of the misinformation that's out there. But, you know, with kind of the, lo the loss of Latino rebels and then the loss of, like, all the, the L.A. Times layoffs, like the 
LA Times is, I don't know, they haven't really filled out their, their roster at the Capitol. And so, for example, like this debate that was going on with the immigration bill, it, that would have been useful to have full-blown team up there. But the recent layoffs, the recent layoffs are, are a bit of a beating because the LA Times was, is, and I don't know if it's still going to be this way in the future, but they were really a key component to addressing immigration issues and debunking misinformation and things like that. So it's, it's kind of hard to see, at least from my perspective, hard to see where the future lies for outlets like that. You know, in, in the meantime, we, we continue to do our best to try to debunk things, started jumping on newer platforms like TikTok and playing around with YouTube and trying to get more information out there. But, you know, it, it's hard for independents like us to to kind of go against the, the grain of what you see in like mainstream media and things like that. So using words like crisis and on the right, far right side invasion and things like that, it's hard to counter that when we don't have the platform that they have. So if major media makes a mistake, which they often do, for example, when they said that the courts ordered the buoy barrier removed when they only ordered it relocated, that's a big thing. And trying to debunk that and go against it whenever a lot of them are just kind of repeating each other is extremely difficult. And then we end up being a target for trying to correct major media and they start accusing us of being the ones spreading misinformation. So it, it becomes a more complicated issue. And the more we lose the Latino representation in media, the harder it just becomes. Yeah, I have a fine example of that on MSNBC, but we'll get to that later in the show. Egberto Willis, your response to this again, because I want to stress again that we are in the middle of an election year and the importance of journalists of color to dispel such misinformation that may come along the way is so crucial in this year. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I agree with absolutely everything Arturo said. What I'm hoping for is that we as independent journalists and specifically Latino journalists, what we do is take it as an opportunity. And let me tell you what I mean. And it's hard to have an opportunity when there's uh, when what you really need, however, as well as cash. Right. But but really, because I mean, to, for, for us to do the job, we also have to earn a living to do the job that the corporations right now pay others to do a job. So my thing is, hopefully we can find a model. And we've been trying to work with a, a, a lot of progressive activists in this area to see if we can come up with a model where we create an infrastructure for independent media in general, Latino, Black, and otherwise specifically, that is self-funded, but it also requires an education of the public. It's amazing, right? Because the public doesn't find a lot of issues in paying $300 a month for every type of cable TV that they can, that they can have where they're piped this misinformation that Arturo talks about. But if we go ahead and say, look, we need a thousand people giving us $10 a month. It is like, wow, you mean I'm going to give you two lattes a month? Two, lat two lattes a month? <laughs> it's like, isn't your freedom worth two lattes a month? So I think in a lot of ways, we have to find a way to educate the, the community at large and explain the dangers that Arturo explained as far as not being of losing losing all that you you mentioned the texas observer i mean the, the texas tribune here in and the texas observer who went yeah. through their crises here 
we have to turn that into an opportunity somehow. Yeah, and in an outlet like WPSW in the Pacifica Network, we should also remind the audience about the potential of how powerful independent media outlets can become with the proper support, the proper financial support that the audience, the general public can give us. And I think one good example of that is our brothers and sisters, our Arab brothers and sisters in the state of Michigan, because one outlet, one rather small outlet over there is the Arab American News. And back in late October, early November, they had a headline about how President Joe Biden has basically lost the Arab vote in the state of Michigan. And that right now has has had a snowball effect with not only the issues of the election coming up this year, but also raises questions about the whole Pandora's box of problems that we're seeing in Gaza right now. That all came from a small newspaper outlet in Michigan. And it's an outlet by Arab people of Arab descent, Arab immigrants, Arab reporters talking about Arab news and making it a nationwide issue that's still being discussed today, even as we speak right now. And who's to say that WPFW or KPFD can't do the same? But it's only possible with the general audience support, which is why I wanted to have Egberto Willis on the show today, and which is why it's so important that the audience right now supports WPFW and the Latino Media Collective at this time. So our goal at this hour is $500, and it goes a long way to the long-term sustainability of the Latino Media Collective and WPFW. So we encourage everyone at this time to make a donation to WPFWFM.org. And if you want to do it the old-fashioned way, you can make the call to 1-800-222-9739. And if you have the cash app on your phone, make a donation to dollar sign WPFW. And please give credit to the Latino Media Collective when you do so, because these grievances and these issues that Arturo and, and Egberto are pointing out right now during the course of this conversation is not exclusive to English-speaking media. We have the same problems with Spanish-speaking media right now, with not only Univision, but with Telemundo. And the perfect example of that, and I can see it in Arturo's <laughs> face, is the, is the disastrous, the disastrous interview that Univision conducted with former President Donald Trump back in, I believe, in November. And this is still something that gets under my skin for a variety of reasons. I was actually planning to like play a clip from, from that hour-long interview, but it's so incoherent and racist and just babbling nowhere. A lot of babbling that usually goes nowhere, which is a typical Trump speech. So I want to focus a little bit right now on this particular Univision interview that faced a lot of backlash late last year, which was essentially a softball interview by... Enrique Acevedo. Mm. But the interview itself was only part of the problem. The interview was also, I guess I would say, a sample of more things to come from Univision following its merger with Mexican media giant Televisa in 2022. So the same network that gave us Jorge Ramos giving tough questions to then-candidate Trump in 2016 now seems set to go in a different direction under Televisa. But just to give a greater frame of reference as to what we're talking about here, this is not the first time Televisa has dabbled in nefarious right-wing politics. Almost 10 years ago, the British newspaper outlet The Guardian found emails bringing to light Televisa's cozy relationship with former Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto 
even before he became president, essentially whitewashing some of the uh, heavy-handed military tactics by that administration. And I don't know, one thing that may come to mind during that time period was Ayotzinapa. I'm just throwing it out there to you guys. But if we go even back further, one of Televisa's darkest moments was the whitewashing of the the Latelolco massacre by government forces in 1968, just before the Summer Olympics in Mexico City. So (laughs) one could argue at, at first glance that Televisa is like the Mexican version of Fox News. But considering Televisa's much longer history and much darker history, one could argue that Fox News is the English version of Televisa. Right. Yeah. So I want to start with Egberto here with this conversation. One, what are your thoughts on that interview by Enrique Acevedo back in November? And two, what are your thoughts on Univision's unique place in corporate media, This, considering what we've discussed already? First of all, I couldn't believe it. When I heard that Univision was going to interview the president, it was a shock. And of course, I, I really would have liked to hear a Jorge Ramos comment about it because the big uh, stink that Jorge had with, uh, with Trump when he threw him out of one, had one of his goons throw him out of, yeah. of that studio. But I mean, I think uh, we have to look at this whole thing from a worldwide look now. There's something that's happening all around the world, and that has to do with right-wing governments and corporations aligning themselves that way. And I think it has a lot to do with the fear that the people are starting to wake up, so they just have to start to suppress. And I think all the major mainstream medias are just tools. If we take a look at, we're talking about Univision and them causing up to a right-wing fascist, but also... If we take a look at how we are covering the news, you, you're mentioning the Arab situation in Michigan. Biden is showing absolutely no, no empathy towards those being killed in, in, in Gaza. And the mainstream media is reporting it exactly the way Biden would want them to report it. So it's not Univision is, uh, yes, I, I agree with you. It's, it's actually pre-Fox. I just learned that from you as far as what occurred in 1968. But I mean, um, I I didn't know that story. But I mean, yeah, uh, I guess they're all par for the course. Arturo. Yeah, you know, I'm going to agree with with Egberto on that one. And and Oscar always gets me with these little historical nuggets like he just got you. I wasn't, dude, this guy gets me every time. But, but, you know, I I recently saw, you know, how AMLO does his mañaneros, right? Every morning. I love it, yeah. I love watching those. It was like a few days ago, a week ago or so, Jorge Ramos was at one and he came at AMLO kind of in a far right sort of way, talking about deaths, like deaths in Mexico, talking about asking AMLO about him leaving office with all these murders and things happening. And AMLO corrected him, showing how deaths and murders and things like that were actually dropping under him and talking about how the, the spike really occurred under Nieto and it's been a battle to get it back down and things like that. And and I, I felt I felt like Ramos was a little bit taking a role of like Tucker Carlson in that sense because he was being very combative with AMLO. Mm-hmm. And that's a turn from what you normally see coming from from Ramos. But I, 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 that could be the overall direction of where Univision's going, 
in, in Spanish language media in general, you know, I watch a lot of like and pay attention to a lot of Cuban news. And I see a lot of the propaganda that comes out of Miami, too. And the contrast between what comes out of Cuba and what comes out of Miami is like night and day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what comes out of what comes out of Miami is very far right, very sort of extremist. And there for a while, towards the end of the year, they were planning like trying to have terrorist attacks in Cuba and all this stuff. And all of that got outed by the Cuban government. So it didn't happen. But you see that stuff in general. And I think back to this new thing that came out where some staffers from CNN were calling out CNN for their bias towards Israel mm-hmm. in the whole Gaza thing. You know, that that's another issue. You see that across all media platforms. Unfortunately, for Latinos and Spanish-speaking people like the immigrants and things, they, there's no pushback. There's no clarification. There's no, there's no staffers. Sta- like, a lot of staffers came out after that interview and protested the softball nature of it and allowing him, allowing Trump to say these outlandish things without fact-checking him, things like that. But it, it wasn't that big of an effort. It didn't make a wave like what this thing going on at CNN is doing right now. And unfortunately for Latinos, we don't, we don't have that kind of a pushback. We don't have, again, we, we go back to the platform, the money, and, and being able to get be seen and heard. And it's difficult for us as independents to take on that role when we don't have the power of a big, giant corporate newsroom. So we're kind of in a losing battle in that sense. Yeah, and that's why I didn't want to play any clips from that right. interview because, again, like you just said, Enrique Acevedo didn't push back, didn't do any follow-ups. He just gave Donald Trump a microphone and just go on your usual racist spiel like he always does. And to what degree does that serve the Latino public or even the general public because the whole interview was in English? It's an interview that went nowhere, that didn't even push back in any way, shape, or form. And I just want to say one thing about Jorge Ramos, because I think we have to be fair that this sort of right-wing turn that Univision has, it's not something new, and it's not something that has just happened recently. I mean, Jorge Ramos has had, I would say, contentious interviews with Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela, but then on the same coin would have a very cozy and friendly interview much like what Acevedo had with Trump with uh, Juan Orlando Hernandez, who was the former coup government leader of Honduras when he was still present, illegitimately present during that time as well, I should mention. And so, you know what, going back to Televisa, there's actually an entire book called Muy Buenas Noches that talks about Televisa and its nefarious relationship with the PRI in Mexico during the Cold War period. And I know the author of the book It's one of those people that I have on my list to have on the show to discuss this right-wing turn by both Univision and also this nefarious history by Televisa. Because as I said at the beginning, that interview with Trump may be a sign of more things to come from, from Univision, unfortunately. So I have the author who has done extensive work on the history of Televisa. But to have her on the show, we need the support of the general audience in order to bring these great voices on the show, to talk about these fantastic issues, to even have fantastic guests like Arturo and Egberto on the show with us. But it's only possible with your support by going to WPFWFM.org to make a donation to the Latino Media Collective. If you want to make the call, you call 1-800-222-9739. And if you have the Cash App on your phone, make a donation to dollar sign WPFW. And please give credit to the Latino Media Collective when you do so, because 
again, it's not an understatement at all, but the challenges and the grievances that we've had with regards to English-speaking media, corporate media, is the same in Spanish-speaking corporate media. And because we're talking about multiple countries in Latin America, it can manifest itself in many horrendous ways. So there's been a lot of political turmoil in, say, for example, Peru. In Peru, one company, one company owns 90%, close to 90% of all the media outlets in one country. We're talking about newspapers, websites, magazines, TV outlets, radio outlets, you name it. And it varies and fluctuates from one country to the next, which is why it's so important to support independent media outlets like WPFW and like KPFT as well, the whole Pacifica network as a whole. So I'm going to take a break right here. We're speaking with Arturo Dominguez, who's a freelance writer based in Houston, Texas. And we also have on the show with us today, Egberto Willis, who's the host of Politics Done Right, which airs on Pacifica Station KPFT in Houston, Texas. This is the Latino Media Collective here on WPFW 89.3 FM, Washington. We're going to take a quick break right here. Back with more in a minute. Stay tuned. Partiendo arte, porque esa es mi cualidad Te llevo de lo cotidiano a otra realidad Al estado de la incierta forma Territorio en el que habito cuando todos duermen Puedes verme repartiendo arte, porque esa es mi cualidad Te llevo de lo cotidiano a otra realidad Al estado de la incierta forma Territorio en el que habito cuando todos duermen Pasaporte con mi nombre rumbo al infinito Hay mucho mito, pero nadie ha vuelto y lo ha descrito Ese es mi reto, estoy saliendo ya de mi esqueleto Dejando ya obsoleto el ámbito de lo concreto no me limito traigo el tacto de lo abstracto nada exacto un extracto de lo perfecto nada recto un instante rutilante muy brillante de la música de un gigante arquitecto pilla esta foto en la que floto exploto dejo este universo roto y choco con otro de hecho yo formo otro que fundo con otro que junto con otros que sumo resulto muchos nosotros el punto de expansión total el origen del que todos los caminos salen y al que se dirigen donde todos los posibles sucesos suceden donde dicen que cocinan sus besos las mujeres por si acaso me perdiera he tendido un hilo que me sujeta a la tierra para viajar tranquilo desde el último balcón del tiempo me asomaré si tú quieres recorrerlo dilo yo allí estaré repartiendo arte porque esa es mi cualidad te llevo de lo cotidiano a otra realidad al estado de la incierta forma territorio en el que habito cuando todos duermen puedes verme repartiendo arte porque esa es mi cualidad te llevo de lo cotidiano a otra realidad Al estado de la incierta forma Territorio en el que habito cuando todos duermen Ya regreso a la región de la que todo emana Solo un ser es la legión de la que formo parte Quiero hablarte de esa delgada membrana Esa ventana traspasada por la raza humana Solo en el arte, puerta de todos los datos Matemáticos, paraíso de insensatos Catedráticos, forma que forma las formas De lo físico, norma que anula las normas De lo rígido, residencia de la esencia De la esencia, evidencia de existencias simultáneas Es un cúmulo de extrañas coincidencias De infinitas incidencias Espontáneas, percepción de la perfección, de la percepción de la perfección. Estoy buscando en lo poético que hay, en lo supraestético que 
que hay en lo macrocromático que hay en lo no animal. Estoy ahí dentro, me veo desde fuera, justo en el centro de una gran esfera que está, justo en el centro de una gran esfera que está, justo en el centro espera, porque se me llevan números que se aceleran hasta la eternidad, pero el negativo, esta marea me lleva hacia atrás, salto al estribillo, y ahí el futuro cambiaré, tú si quieres recorrerlo, dilo, yo ahí estaré repartiendo arte, porque esa es mi cualidad, te llevo de lo cotidiano a otra realidad, al estado de la incierta forma, territorio en el que habito cuando todos duermen, puedes verme repartiendo arte, porque esa es mi cualidad, te llevo de lo efímero hasta la eternidad, al estado donde todos duermen, territorio en el que habito con incierta forma, puedes verme. That was Caseo, and you're listening to the Latino Media Collective here on WPFW 89.3 FM, Washington. Reminding everyone that we are in the middle of WPFW's Winter Pledge Drive, so right now is your opportunity to support the Latino Media Collective. 18 years going strong, but it's only possible with your support if you go to WPFWFM.org to make a donation. You can also make a call to 1-800-222-9739. And if you have the Cash App on your phone, make a donation to dollar sign WPFW. And please give credit to the Latino Media Collective when you do so. So once again, I'm joined by freelance writer Arturo Dominguez and Egberto Willis, who's the host of Politics Done Right, which airs on Pacifica Station KPFT in Houston, Texas. So guys, I want to turn your attention to... Another issue with regards to the dwindling spaces for journalists of color here in the U.S., and that is the case of Mehdi Hassan, the now former MSNBC host who was let go by MSNBC for challenging Israeli officials over the war in Gaza. Now, Hassan's show on MSNBC was canceled in November just as the war on Gaza has led to thousands, tens of thousands of Palestinian civilians killed. The cancellation also came almost a month after a report came out that MSNBC was trying to silence other hosts with Muslim backgrounds from covering the war on Gaza. Arturo mentioned this with regards to CNN. It looks like a similar issue happened on MSNBC as well. In fact, here's a clip of Mehdi Hassan's interview with senior Israeli advisor Mark Regev that may have been the interview or at least the one that people have pointed out that got media sound fired from SMBC. So here's the clip. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the military pressure. We are nearly six weeks into this bombing campaign and ground invasion. The Gaza Health Ministry says Israel has killed more than 11,000 people in Gaza, including the a Hamas, number the of Hamas children. Controlled. Uh, let, the me, Hamas, let me finish my question. Hamas controlled. Let me finish my question. No, no, but, no, but, no but you have to, you can't say that. No, but I, you said you have to say the Hamas controlled the Ministry of Health You can say that. I Gaza, don't have to please. say what you asked me to say. More than 4,000 no, kids, true. they say. That's true. You don't killed. deny that. I'm not denying that the health ministry is controlled by Hamas. Let me but, finish but, my question. Can, but please tell the viewers the truth. That information yes. is provided by Hamas. Okay, and that information, we'll come back to that information, but you've got dead Gazans. The American government say maybe more than 11,000. You've got a record number of journalists killed, according to the CPJ, a record number of UN workers killed, according to the UN. And yet Hamas still exists, is still capable of firing rockets into Israel, still has the hostages. You haven't found their big base under the Shifa hospital either. Your critics say that shows this war is a failure. I would argue that's all incorrect, Nidhi. So that was Mehdi Hassan's interview with senior Israeli advisor Mark Regev in early November. And by the end of November, 
his show was canceled on MSNBC. So I want to go to Egberto here because this brings up a whole Pandora's box of issues here. One, the silencing of voices that challenge government officials. Forget about Israel and Palestine, but just generally speaking, challenging government officials on their misinformation and lies. And also the issue of the declining number of Arab voices, not just Palestinian, but Arab voices during this conflict that has obviously gotten international attention. And as we have this conversation, even now, we're still digesting the, the ruling by the International Criminal Court, the International Court of Justice, I should say, with regards to what's taking place in, in Israel. How do you process both that, what we just heard and the decision by MSNBC afterwards? No, I found it amazing. I mean, just when this conflict started, I knew what the uh, narrative was going to be. I knew the narrative. So I, I sent out a tweet then that I said, the only people that we need to listen to on mainstream media on this issue was Ali Belshi, Ayman Mohayadeen, and Mediasan. And the reason I said that is they were the only ones that had the pelotas to go out there and actually say things the way they really are. Now, I was waiting to see who was going to be the first one that they got off the air. Okay. And I, I mean, Media Hassan was very, very, I mean, agreeable. I mean, I, I think he did it with masterfully the way he left. They didn't fire him. They told him he just wasn't going to have a show, but he was going to stand in for other people at other times. And then he says, okay, that's fine. I enjoy that. Bye-bye. I think that was the great thing to do. And I think in the long run, he is probably going to have a good solo career or an assignment with, with somebody else. But the sad thing about it is we can't blame Americans for how ignorant so many are of not only the Arab culture, the Latino culture, the, and all these other, other things. It's just that the mainstream media is so bad. It is so bad at putting information out there it, it has such a corporate stance. And one of the reasons I said earlier in the discussion that we had here was that just maybe this could be a blessing in disguise is that just maybe if we find a model, and I don't say that we have it yet, but just maybe if we find a model that we can do, I mean, it, you take a look at the work that Arturo does in, in his writing. It's better than anything that comes out of the Houston Chronicle, right? I mean... Just point blank. I appreciate that. It is better than anything that comes out of, because it has it has meat on the bones, right? It actually has meat on the bones. Imagine if we could, at some point in time, people with the the I don't want to I don't want to call it talent because it's not about talent. I, I that people that had the whatever that word is of Arturo could actually do that full time and make a living out of it. And at the same time, have the amount of people informed by that instead of the ch chiclet. I don't know if you guys remember chiclet. In fact, I used to have this stuff called el chiclet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, instead of having a chiclet for news, right? Getting some real massa for news. You know what I mean? And that is what we need. So I like to look at a, a glass half full, a glass half empty. Hey, we're in a transition right now. It is time for us to get our butts up and try to find a way 
all of us in the independent media to somehow do something. We are doing something. Now we just need to monetize it. Yeah, and I'll go back to that clip that we played a second ago because the idea of a government official telling a journalist how to phrase things, how to frame the question, and how to frame the whole conversation from point mm -hmm. A to point B is also problematic in and of itself. Arturo, what are your thoughts on on the whole Mehdi Hassan well, issue? The Mehdi Hassan thing is kind of par for the course, right? Like we saw what they did to um, several other journalists, Jamel Hill, Mark Lamont Hill, who's at Al Jazeera now, was let go from CNN for his pro-Palestinian stance. Oh, you know what? You just reminded me. It's not even unique to MSNBC with this particular incident. Let's not forget uh, the case of Phil Donahue, who was taken off the air just as the war in Iraq 21 years mm -hmm. ago had started. And even somebody like Melissa Harris-Perry was also mm -hmm. taken off the air, mm -hmm. another journalist of color, but continue. Arturo. No, you know, and that, that brings up another thing that I mentioned, I try to mention in a lot of my work as much as possible is that everything that this country has ever done to black people historically, they're using that those same tactics against Latinos and against any other non-white group in this country. Why? Because they were successful at it. So if you're if you're on on MSNBC, for example, and you're too pro-black, that you might go too far for. And, and it's not. So th this is one of the things that I need to emphasize too about what the issue is with mainstream media. It's not always the individual journalists. It's the producers. It's the editors. And then who those producers and editors answer to as they go up to the board, up further up the chain, eventually you get to the corporates. And the information flows down from those corporates too. So if, like I was saying, if you're too pro-black or too pro-Latino or too pro-immigrant, that's going to cost you your job up there. And I get it. It's a good living. I know people that write columns for these big outlets and they have to mind their P's and Q's. And I'm like, if your paycheck is worth more to you than the truth or digging beyond the surface, then that's on you. But it, that's not that's not a gig for me. I couldn't work at an MSNBC and be told how to phrase things, not say this, not say that, because you might insult some politician's sensibilities or something like that. Some things are what they are. They don't require any objectivity or any of that. When we talk about human rights, there's right and wrong. Human rights aren't a political issue, but in mainstream media, they treat it as one. And that's where we start losing focus on the real issue at hand, and that's human rights. So you talk about Palestine, you talk about immigration, it's the same thing. It's all surface level reporting, and nobody wants to dig beyond the surface because they're afraid they're going to insult someone or they're going to hurt someone or it might cost them their job. I hold people like Mehdi Hassan, Tiffany Cross, a lot of people, I hold them up there pretty high, pretty high, because they weren't going to be forced to change their tone, change the way they talk, how they feel about things, because they are, it is what it is, right? You can't tell a black person how to feel about black issues. You just can't. You have to listen and learn. And, and that's where we're, that's where major media loses, loses the game. They lose, they lose sight of the real story. This the immigration debate that we're, we've been having is a perfect example of that. By constantly throwing the words crisis out there, you're feeding that far right machine that ends up with a trucker boycott coming to Texas because they think that the word crisis helps validate their invasion claims. And, and, and that's that's detrimental to everybody. And what did I say at the beginning here that 
what is journalism when done correctly but the pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of enlightenment, and to the third part, the pursuit possibly of revolution. It makes zero sense to let go of somebody like Mehdi Hassan, who has long-time knowledge of the region and of the politics within that region at hand, and to let him go because he did his homework, because he understood what was in front of him, which was somebody that was lying to him about the information that was coming out of Gaza during that particular time period. So, and when I say that, that sort of little chain of education, enlightenment, and revolution, you can have somebody that's educated, but you don't want a producer or a host that want to go even further to those other steps that I mentioned before. That's where independent media outlets like WPFW step in. And I want to go back again to that example that I made with with the uh, Arab American News outlet over in Michigan. Again, a small outlet that really started the ball rolling with regards to the question of whether or not the Arab vote has been lost for Joe Biden in 2024. Who's to say that WPFW or KPFD don't have the power or the capacity to do the exact same thing, to take the narrative in a direction that's proactive rather than reactive. But it's only possible with the audience support. So again, we need your support at this hour to support the Latino Media Collective. Our goal at this hour is $500, and it goes a long way to the long-term sustainability of both the Latino Media Collective, WPFW, and the Pacifica Network. But it's only possible... If you go to WPFWFN.org or if you make the call to 1-800-222-9739 and if you have the cash app on your phone, make a donation to dollar sign WPFW and please give credit to the Latino Media Collective when you do so because the shrinking media landscape for journalists of color is not exclusive to the hard news politics that we've been discussing here with Egberto and Arturo. Even in the sports world, ESPN right now may possibly be bought by the NFL. And Sports Illustrated, which is one of those long-time sports journalism institutions, has had some problems as, as of late and now have been bought up by this nameless, faceless media conglomerate. I don't even remember the name of the organization, but there may be massive layoffs along the way for both of those outlets. And those outlets include sports journalists, real sports journalists, And one of the things that I will point out about ESPN, that the days of having actual journalists like Jamel Hill or Stuart Scott or Bob Lee or sports journalists programs like Outside the Lines have been thrown to the wayside. And outlets like ESPN and even Fox News, Fox Sports, I should say, have invested like eight-figure salaries to people like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless who know little to nothing about what they're just talking about. It's just for entertainment, for public outrage, and it's led to just a a complete degeneration of sports journalism. You know, I have to say that Dave Zirin, who has a show here on WPFW called Edge of Sports and who does a fantastic show there, and I would encourage everyone to support him during this playtime as well, wrote an article about the decline of Sports Illustrated. And it occurred to me that sports journalism, when it's done correctly, can inspire kids that are not into politics per se, but are interested in writing, in creative writing, in the means and the capacity to tell a story. And through this disinvestment in sports journalism, we are in a way, you know, taking away an outlet for a lot of kids 
to want to write, who want to read, and who want to like express themselves through this sort of work, you know, and not let to do so. And we're left with a bunch of people who are, again, the Stephen A. Smiths of the world who are just bloviating and know little to nothing about what they're talking about. It takes work to find that hard, dark history of Televisa that I blew Arturo's mind with earlier and with Egberto's as well. So it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time and investment, but it's only possible with the general audience support. But Egberto, I want to get your thoughts on this with regards to the importance of sports journalism with regards to encouraging people to even read and write to begin with, young people. Look, folks, if, if you are listening uh, to Oscar right now, it is imperative. It is imperative that you support this particular program because I tell you what, folks, you're not going to get this on the mainstream media. And we invest so much in regular standard media. We, we pay a lot of money to cable TV, etc. Why not a program that is actually nourishing you? So, I mean... I hear, I hear my brother here doing a pitch, and I said, I begged him, hey, can I do a quick pitch? Folks, you cannot do better. He needs $500 now. Let's go ahead and call in and give him that $500 now. Fantastic. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. So let's go back to the question at hand, the importance of sports journalism, not necessarily with the politics of the world per se, but as a means to encourage and inspire younger people to both read and to write and to become storytellers themselves. Good sports reporting to me, there was always a, there's always been a social justice component to good sports writing, you know, and there's there's always been a lot of interesting characters in in sports writing. Like for a time, Hunter S. Thompson wrote for Sports Illustrated and some of his best work was in the magazine. So yeah, you know, there there's there's a lot that comes along with, you know, sports journalism. And a lot of it counters the whole shut up and dribble type narrative. Like you're, you're an entertainer. You do this and shut up about it, right? Shoot the ball in the hoop, throw the ball in the end zone, whatever. But, you know, there's always been a political component to it from Ali to Jackie Robinson. I mean, throughout history, there has always been that component. And a good, a good sports journalist always dug into that. So I remember Sports Illustrated was one of the top in, in that game. And they were around in the heyday. They didn't really have a lot of competition when it came to like interviewing Ali and things like that. They didn't see any real serious competition until ESPN, the magazine came out. And I'm not even so sure that one's still around, but yeah, it's a shame. You know, I saw some of the stuff on Sports Illustrated. I don't know the company that bought them out either. Some nameless, faceless thing, like you said, <laughs> but I did read a lot about it. And in and, and its heyday, Sports Illustrated was really like... I don't know. It was the sports enthusiast playboy. All the best interviews, all the best, everything was in there without the nudies. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, man, it's a shame. It really is a shame. And I'm curious to see whatever, what happens with that. I really am because I grew up with Sports Illustrated. Well, you pointed out something very important that Sports Illustrated was around during the 1960s, during the civil rights movement, during that time period. And it would have been unavoidable not to talk about Muhammad Ali and all the trials and tribulations they had both in the ring and outside the ring during that time. And not just written journalism itself, but also photojournalism as well. Some of the most iconic pictures of Muhammad Ali came during that time period. And a lot of those photos came from photojournalists working for Sports Illustrated, just as an example. 
And unfortunately, to give an example of the decline of Sports Illustrated, let's not forget that about late last year, they got caught using AI to use for not only an article, but to invent, I guess, an entire human being, you know, a writer that didn't exist. So it's nothing short of problematic to see the direction that Sports Illustrated has gone. And I would encourage everyone to look at Dave Zirin's article on the decline of Sports Illustrated. He, I think he did this for NBC News, but I encourage everyone to, to read this article because it does lend itself to the importance of how, you know, journalism, whether it's what we do for a living or through outlets like Sports Illustrated in the past, how it could inspire people to read, write, and educate and enlighten themselves along the way. Oh, got it. Interesting though, talking about Sports Illustrated and all, all the other things, I think you brought up a key word there that I think we're going to have to be really cognizant of. And when you talk about AI, you know why they are so happy to go ahead and lay these writers off, even as they're going to make more money with the articles they put out? I, w- I would challenge anybody, take read the about section of the Houston Chronicle and it'll tell you, it'll explain to you. It says some of our articles are passed or done through AI but it always finishes itself with a human being. None of it goes out unedited. I saw, when I saw that, I mean, at least they were honest about it, right? Mm -hmm. When I saw that I got, I was like, wow, because it didn't say they used AI to edit their software, right? A A lot of writers, I myself, I would write a blog and I'll go ahead and I'll pass it through just to see what this guy comes up with. But when you see the videos and everything that I do, that's my work that, that is the genesis of something, not the AI being the genesis that an editor then takes a look at. There's a difference, right? AI can either be a tool or a replacement for, or it can either be a tool or a robot, right? Which is it going to be? And when we speak about the layoff of these reporters and so forth, and then AI dependent on some huge database of existence already, my God, Look at where we're heading to right now. So you nailed, when you, just the mention of AI there, you nailed it. See, it's another Pandora's box story in and of itself. And another reason why we got to have Egberto Willis on the show with us again in the future. So we're just about out of time. We want to remind everyone again to go to WPFWFM.org to make a donation to the Latino Media Collective. You can also make a call to 1-800-222-9739. And if you have the cash app on your phone, make a donation to dollar sign WPFW and please give credit to the Latino Media Collective when you do so. If you want to continue to hear fantastic guests like Arturo Dominguez and Egberto Willis. So I want to say thank you to both you guys for being on the show at this hour and for stressing the importance of independent journalists and independent media outlets like WPFW. So once again... We've been speaking with Arturo Dominguez, who's a freelance writer based in Houston, Texas, and Egberto Willis, who's the host of Politics Done Right on Pacifica Station KPFT in Houston, Texas. So, Egberto, Arturo, thank you very much for being on the show with us. Thank you so kindly. We enjoyed it. Appreciate it. And with that said, that is it for today's show. We want to say thank you to everyone who supported and donated to Latino Media Collective at this hour. And you can follow us on latinomediacollective.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the name at LMC underscore show. And, of course, live on WPFWFM.org. That's WPFWFM.org. 
Once again, this is Oscar Fernandez saying thank you very much, everyone, for listening to the show. That's it for today's show. Adios. Nos vemos. Ciao. Collective Voices and the Francis Gregory Neighborhood Library invite you to celebrate Black history through poetry from 3.30 to 5 o'clock p.m. Saturday, February 24th at 3660 Alabama Avenue, Southeast Washington, D.C. as they present African Americans and the Arts. Collective Voices, whose members are Lady Di, Sister Joy, Bernardo, and Billy O'Hara are known for their messages of social consciousness, inspiration, and empowerment. In addition to their original poetry, the celebration will also feature an exhibit by Washington-area visual artist Jason Keene and conclude with a book signing. This event is free and open to all ages. WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. First man to die for the flag we now hold up was a black man. The 15th annual Mid-Atlantic Jazz Festival swings hard on President's Day weekend, February 16th through the 18th at the Hilton Rockville, 1750 Rockville Pike, Rockville, Maryland. This year, they honor the grandeur of the big band era, featuring Delfeo Marsalis and the Uptown Jazz Orchestra, Grammy Award-winning vocalist Lisa Fisher with the Orrin Evans Captain Black Big Band, and the incomparable Kurt Elling with the Mid-Atlantic Jazz Orchestra. Other performers include drummers Bernard Harper, Herlin Riley, and Marvin Smitty-Smith, vocalists Renee Marie, and vibraphonist Warren Wolf. Full schedule and ticket information available at www.midatlanticjazzfestival.org. WPFW, building a better world one broadcast at a time.
from WPFW News in Washington and WBAI in New York, I'm Sue Goodwin. Today is Friday, February 9th. Here are some headlines. Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu today ordered the military to prepare for civilian evacuations in the southern Gaza city of Rafah before an expected Israeli invasion. This comes as U.S. officials warn Tel Aviv against expanding its ground offensive to Rafah, where more than half of the Gaza Strip's 2.3 million people have sought refuge. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby told reporters that any major military operation in Rafah without due consideration for their safety would be a disaster. Rafa also serves as the main hub for humanitarian aid, and United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres expressed the same concerns, saying that an operation in Rafa would, quote, exponentially increase what is already a humanitarian nightmare with untold regional consequences, close quote. In domestic news, former President Donald Trump picked up two victories yesterday in the competition to become the Republican nominee for president. As expected, Trump won the Nevada caucuses in which Nikki Haley, his last major rival for the nomination, was not competing. Initial results showed at least 98% support for Trump. He also won the Virgin Islands caucuses in which Haley was a candidate Yesterday's caucuses come after Trump already saw sweeping wins in two crucial early primary states, Iowa and New Hampshire. The next major contest in the 2024 Republican nominating calendar is in Haley's home state of South Carolina, where polls show Trump with a significant lead ahead of the state's February 24 primary. A Senate panel grilled pharmaceutical CEOs in a hearing yesterday about why prescription drugs have higher price tags in the U.S. than in other countries. The chief executives of three major pharmaceutical companies, Johnson & Johnson, Merck, and Bristol-Myers Squibb, acknowledged that certain medications can cost thousands of dollars more in the U.S., but refused yesterday to commit to lowering the prices of some of their top-selling drugs when pressed by Senator Bernie Sanders. All three of the companies represented at the hearing are currently suing the Biden administration in an effort to kill the Medicare price negotiation program established under the Inflation Reduction Act. And a jury has awarded $1 million in damages to climate scientist Michael Mann, who sued a pair of conservative writers 12 years ago over their response to his pivotal work on global warming. The writers rejected Mann's findings as fraudulent, with one calling him, quote, the Jerry Sandusky of climate science, close quote, a reference to the Penn State football coach who was convicted as a child molester. At the time, Mann also worked at Penn State. Investigations by Penn State and others found no misuse of data by Mann, 
but his work continued to draw attacks, particularly from conservatives. Michael Mann rose to fame for a graph first published in 1998 in the journal Nature that was dubbed the Hockey Stick for its dramatic illustration of a warming planet. And in weather today, it is 56 degrees and sunny in Washington with temperatures